Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we are talking about your 10 and 7 Detroit Pistons. First time DBB podcast guest, Mike Snyder and I, talk about our uh, continued acceptance of the Pistons defensive scheme. We uh, question why Andre Drummond isn't getting enough local or national love, and we talk about the importance of watching film for both fans and players. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Uh, please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. It's the best way for us to build a podcast according to what you all are talking about. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. As we discuss later, you'll hear it. It's fun. Uh, with all that said... It's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. I'm pleased today to be joined by Mike Snyder of Detroit Bad Boys. What's up, Mike? Hey, Laz. Thanks for having me on. Um, I really appreciate it. You guys have been doing a uh, a killer job with the podcast. So I just said to myself, I got to got to get on somehow. And here I am. Wait, is this your first time on the podcast? Like Jordan didn't have you on back in the day? This is my first time on Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Yep. Oh man! All right. Well, this will be the first of many. I hope. <laughs> so do I. Just hopefully, don't <laughs> screw it up. <laughs> uh, you'd be fine. You'd be fine. Uh, so the Pistons are ten and seven with a win over Phoenix today. They've won six of their last eight games, including uh, wins over the East Conference leading Toronto Raptors and the uh, last year's Western Conference finalist Houston Rockets. Mike, uh, what if anything is standing out to you during this run? Uh, well, as far as today is concerned, and what I think stood out to me today is, you know, you're going to lose games throughout the year, but you have to find you have to find a way to win the games you should win. And I don't think that's happened in the past, at least on a consistent basis. Uh, so for today, at least, um, you know, in the third quarter, it was still a close game. Early fourth, it was still a close game, and then they pulled away. I think that's a it's it's a low key. It's a you know, it's the Phoenix Suns. Not not a great team, but they found a way to win, and in in a game that they usually kind of uh, they let it go way too close down to the wire, and sometimes they lose, and that's not a good thing. So it's good that they won today. Uh, I know it's the Suns, but it's positive they just found a way to win. Um, as far as you know, winning six of eight, uh, I think each game has had their own little storyline, and whether it was uh, defense against Houston. Um, or, you know, just little things here and there that um, that they're doing differently that works in each individual game. Uh, now it just has to be something where they put put it all together. I don't know if that kind of makes sense. No. So going back to the first thing you talked about, like winning the games you're supposed to, I think you were the first person to point out that like the Orlando win, which is the first win that like kicks off the six of uh, eight stretch. Right. The Orlando win is looking more and more like a, a quality win. It really is. Orlando, of course. They beat the Lakers today. Yeah, they took care of business today in L.A. too, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And so that's like another game where it's like perhaps that is a game we can point to and say like this is not like last year's team because last year's team would have found a way to lose that to Orlando lose. game. To lose, right. 
And it's such a big step. It's such a, and again, I don't want to overblow a November win in, in Phoenix, but we've seen this over the past five or six years where they just find a way to lose. They find a way to give it up. So even though it's just Phoenix, it's a good thing. It's a positive sign. Yeah. So the second thing you talked about, putting it all together, I guess, what does putting it all together look like for you? Like to me, the closest thing, and I wrote about this, the closest thing that that looks like to me was like the first six minutes of the Atlanta game, right? Where like everything was clicking on offense, everything was clicking on defense. Of course, like you hope that happens against a, an opponent like at the caliber of Atlanta, but at the same time, like, what, so what, what does that look like to you, I guess? Well, I think the biggest thing in putting it all together is is not beating yourself. Uh, again, you're not going to win every game. You're not going to, uh, you know, play uh, to, to, to the highest level of every game. I, I completely understand that, but you just can't beat yourself. And as far as putting it all together, I think that's the first thing that, uh, you know, teams are coming up on the rise, that they have to figure out that they can't beat themselves if they want to be taken seriously. Uh, and that's that's where I think where they're at right now, as far as uh, putting, getting guys buying in, uh, all being on the same page. And and again, I know it's kind of cliche, but putting it together, don't beat yourselves. So you were a you were at first a bigger proponent of the Blake Griffin trade than I was. I think you before most other people saw how Blake Griffin uh, would fit next to Andre Drummond as the Detroit Piston, you saw the the skill and the the shooting ability and the passing ability that I think a lot of us who hadn't really watched Blake in a couple of years right. uh, noticed. And so I'm I'm guessing I'm I'm wondering what your thoughts are on them coexisting this season. How has that pairing looked to you so far? It seems effective. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that was the most overblown storyline of the whole off season. Is how are these guys going to fit? And when you when you take back and you, you look at it again, you have uh, Reggie Jackson and uh, Andre Drummond who clearly fit together. They're a pick-and-roll combo. Uh, Reggie can shoot a little bit. Dre's obviously a big guy inside. So you already have that chemistry built in. And then you bring in Blake, a guy who's uh, continues to evolve, continues to be versatile. It's like, how can that not work? I didn't understand how – I mean – I guess I understand, uh, you know, Blake's uh, in injury history. Uh, he wasn't uh, necessarily a, an established outside shooter, uh, but he does so many other little things. It's like, how could it not work? Uh, and, I, and I guess it's all relative. Uh, it's all relative work. You know, they're not going to be better in Toronto. They're not going to be better than uh, Boston. But for who they're competing against, they're good. They can compete and they fit. And I, just, I never saw how they, the other side of the coin. Uh, the other thing I think that we like when we talk about Blake and Andre, we I thought personally we'd see like a little bit more of Blake operating in the pick and roll, like with Reggie. I think you saw, yeah, with Andre, you saw a little bit of that at the end of the Phoenix game when they f- were forced to play Blake at center because Andre missed a bunch of free throws. That's neither here nor there. Right. They won the game. You I'm can't go down that road. Yep. You start complaining about wins, you know, yeah. then it gets a little weird. Yeah, exactly. But I I will say that's one thing that I think that Casey hasn't taken full advantage of just yet. Um, they ran it. They ran like a little bit of that against Miami, and it worked uh, effectively, even if they lost that game. And so I'm curious to see when when that gets pulled out of like the the coaching binder. You know? Yeah. No. Exactly. And I think there's still 
obviously Dwayne's a first year coach. He's still trying to get um, acclimated to not only the city, but the team and everything that goes along with being a first year coach. And it's, they don't have to have the answers right now. You don't have to have the answer right now in November, December, even January, you know, you want to start to have um, everything falling in line in those February, I guess, uh, March, April type of months. So right now, even if they don't have all the answers, that's, that's okay. That's fine. It's a process. These things happen. And we just, and I know it sucks. We've been waiting 10 years, but you kind of have to be patient for this. Uh, It does suck. We have been waiting 10 years. It does suck. (laughs) Nobody likes it, but it's just, if we're going to be realistic, that's, that's how it works. I mean, nobody comes into a new situation. I mean, for the most part and, you know, balls out, whether uh, you're a coach or a new player, there's always an adjustment period, always. And, when people get shocked that teams are struggling because uh, they're on a new team or it's a new coach, it's like, how are you shocked? I mean, this happens. How many examples have there been throughout the league that we've seen this happen to? So, so yeah. I guess what I'm saying is it, they're doing well. It takes time, and they don't have to have the answers right now, just as long mm-hmm. as they find the answer. Yeah, that, I think that's fair. So yeah. we both write at, at DBB. I'm an editor, so I get to sneak – it looks at what other people are writing and you've got something coming out uh, in the next week or so about uh, Andre Drummond not being properly appreciated. Uh, <laughs> give, us, give us, give us a little bit of preview of what, of what you're talking about in that piece. So this is kind of along the lines of how I fell in love with Blake Griffin. And I think it's starting to rub off on Andre. And what I mean by that is Usually, uh, how I tend to, I've never been a fan of like teams or anything like that. I've always been a fan of individual players. And when they start jumping out at me is when I think what I deem uh, that they start getting, you know, too much negative attention or too much, uh, you know, blame for something. Uh, And I think that happened with Blake throughout the summer. And it's certainly not everybody. um, But, you know, people were talking about how injury prone he is, how, uh, antiquated his skill set is, and I just didn't understand it. So I kind of dug in on Blake's side, saying, I'm, I'm sticking up for this guy. I think he can play. And I think that's starting to happen, at least for me, with Andre Drummond, where it's not like he's taking, um, you know, I guess huge amounts of criticism, but he's not getting any respect whatsoever, uh, either whether it's on the national scene or the local scene. I mean, he's pretty much completely forgotten about. And this is a guy who already has, what, six 2020 games? I mean, that's when you step back and think about it, that's crazy, the stats he's putting up. Yet no one really seemed to care or mind or anything like that. So, yeah, like you said, I kind of over the past week or so just kind of put together my thoughts on him. And it's like I'm, I'm starting to be – he's starting to be my kind of guy. So Andre is averaging 19 and 16. That's insane which is insane. Uh, he's also averaging what, like an assist and a half, um, a, a block and a half and a steal and a half, roughly give right. or take. I mean, those and, numbers are crazy. I think, and it's weird because like when you talk to, when we talk on DB or when you read the DBB comments or when, like when I talk to people on Twitter or people talk at me on Twitter <laughs> right. for the most part, it's a combination of like, Oh, he doesn't bring it every night or like, Oh, right. He doesn't, he's not locked in uh, defensively. I'd like to see him be better defensively or it's like, oh, he's still like, he's still limited by the fact that he's a center and like he can't initiate offense or right. whatever. 
Exactly. And I but think – no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, but at the same time, like, he's averaging 20 and 16. Like, what do you <laughs> want? <laughs> he's doing something right. I mean, 20, 20, 20 games, those used to be so rare and so so coveted. And now it's just like, eh, 20, 20, whatever. And, and I think the problem, and not necessarily a problem, and I, and I sure, um, and I surely include myself in on this, is that we keep judging him on what we think he should be instead of judging him on what he actually is. So, like you said, people, people, and you know, again, myself too, we complain that he doesn't try hard enough, or if he could only do this move, if he could only get a, you know, a back to the basket game. Well, at some point, he's, it, you just have to accept it and more or less appreciate what he's actually doing on the basketball court, which is something that I don't think I've ever really seen before. And I think another thing is, like, you have to understand that these dudes are human and they have, like, highs and lows, right? Like, uh, Kevin Durant doesn't score, like, 40 points every night. Right. Um, Andre Drummond isn't going to play like he played the first half against uh, the home game against Houston every night where he was insane defensively like he's just not gonna bring that every night and that's that's okay but like what what he does bring is so far it's 20 and 16 and like you have to be able to take that <laughs> at 20 just think at 20 and 16 oh my god and it's something where that um it's uh where was i going i had something i had something hot um it's not something how can i put this it's uh, I'm losing it. I had it. I had something good, and now I lost it. No, nah, that's cool. If you think of it again, we'll come oh, back I'm to it. I'm coming back to it. Uh, it was good in my head. All right. All right. So uh, next thing I want to talk about was Reggie Jackson. Reggie was 4 of 16 <laughs> from 3 today. I I don't know. I never thought I'd live to see that day. 16 in yeah, one I, game. That, like, uh, Dre's numbers is crazy. So... I mean, and they were all good shots, and that's what the offense is designed to do, I guess, because they're double, they're doubling Blake. He's kicking it out to the guy who's they're doubling yep. with, and that's Reggie, and he's willing to take that shot. At the same time, like he needs to shoot better than <laughs> four or fifteen. But like, I, I can't complain because he was so good against Houston, right? And like that was uh, a little bit of old Reggie getting to the attacking the rim, yep. getting to the line, uh, drawing fouls, getting guys in foul trouble. And so, like, I'm guessing that it's like Reggie is like super maligned among Pistons fans. Um, are is he like? Have you started to like slowly adopt him into like your crew of guys who are properly like underappreciated? He, or what's going he on? is a perfect candidate for that type of crew. Because uh, yeah, I mean, he, him, him, both him and Stanley take a lot of heat as well. And and I'm not saying these guys shouldn't be criticized because uh, of course they should have. But you also have to kind of balance it out. I think we have to balance it out a little better about uh, what exactly they're bringing to the table. Um, but as far as Reggie is concerned, uh, again, like you said, that uh, that fourth quarter against Houston, that's that 15-16 Jackson that we saw that we uh, you know kind of grew to love. Uh, if we can get more out of that, if we can get a little bit more movement off ball instead of just standing in one spot and waiting, uh, I think he can kind of grow into that position. Uh, that could be wishful thinking on my end, which is clearly on the table. Um, but he's got a, a, a skill set, a usable skill set. You just have to funnel it in the right direction. I wanted to, I wanted him to see make more of those like one more passes you one, brought up. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's a great point. 
There was a there were a couple of plays where like uh, the closeout on him was coming from Bullock's guy, and like you should just swing the ball to Bullock and like have him shoot instead. Reb Bullock was five of ten, two of five from three. So it's like, yeah, that's maybe you should distribute some of those 16 three pointers along <laughs> the other, like other shooters on the floor next to you, you know? Exactly. And I think if I'm remembering correctly, he did have, a, he did have a good one more uh, pass to the corner uh, to Glenn Robinson, who then went to, I think drive baseline and then dish it off to Dre. Uh, Cause Dre flashed to the middle of the lane and that it looked like an actual offense. And so I think just a little bit, uh, again, that one more thing uh, that you mentioned, that's a great point. A little bit more of that, uh, a little bit more on-target shooting, and Reggie's a serviceable player. So I'm glad you brought up that that particular action because, like, when I saw that from both Reggie and Glenn, I was like, yeah, this is like that's what the offense is supposed to look like. This is what the offense can look like when the ball like isn't in Blake's hands, exactly. which it doesn't need to be all the time. With that said, though, like Glenn is kind of getting the Keith Bogans treatments. He's only starting like the first six minutes of the first and third, and then never seeing the the court again. You know, you know, I'm a huge Glenn Robinson the third guy. Yep. It's just kind of I've I've chosen this lane and, and stuck. With <laughs> and we've it. all got our lanes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but so I trust your your eye on both ends of the ball. So I'm asking you, like defensively. I think that's why he's not playing as much as maybe I think he should is because he's not as good defensively as the coaching staff would like him to be. Um, I haven't seen him be, I haven't seen him do the things defensively, like be inattentive off ball or um, uh, basically just like ball watch a lot in the last couple of games and he still can't get playing time. So I'm going to ask you like, what, what is uh, Glenn Robinson the third doing defensively that he's not uh, getting more playing time from the coaching staff? I think he hit the nail on the head. Um, and this pretty much goes for all young players. And if we're being real here, real here, it pretty much goes for 80% of the league basically is they're so bad off ball. They continue to ball watch. And I think that's where Glenn's having trouble is where while everybody's bad, more or less is bad at it. He's noticeably bad. And, uh, again, after that token start, after that first six, seven minutes, uh, it's been kind of crickets uh, with him uh, the rest of the game. Um, but the only way I think he earns that back is on the defensive end. And, again, at least from my experience, um, fixing that is uh, a lot of that relates to watching film, being attentive, you know, having the coach's ear, uh, asking questions, you know, blah, 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 all the cliche stuff that, you know, coaches preach. He just has to do it, has to accept it, uh, and go from there. All right, simple enough, I guess. That's not. I was. I was not. It's always funny, right? Because like when you ask that question, it's like, oh, what's this one trick that will like help me stay right. on the floor more? But like, no, it's just sitting down and like watching your film and grinding. Exactly, and, like, you have to be better at recognition, better at knowing what's coming and, and reacting. Uh, you, the anticipation, I don't think, is there. Uh, and if you're if you're not anticipating and always reacting to the um, uh, to the to the offense, that you're going to get beat. There's just these guys are too fast, too quick, too big, too strong uh, that you have to know what's going on, or, or else you will look like Glenn Robinson looks like right now. That's fair. So, I guess moving moving off of that, um, what have your thoughts been on the defensive changes, like specifically the, the drop coverage? Uh, between uh, Stanley Gundy and Dwayne Casey, it appears to me that they're that as the team gets more comfortable playing the drop coverage, it's working out better. They are uh, um, 
they're getting they're eliciting the shots they want teams to shoot. They want teams to shoot a lot of mid-range jumpers, yep. not a lot of threes, not a lot of shots at the rim. And so like that aspect of it is working. Um but at the same time, you know, they've had there have been games where it's been an issue. Uh they had the the home game or the away game against Houston where CP3 right. went like 6 for 6 with uh with mid-rangers. They had the Charlotte game where Kemba and Tony Parker killed them from the mid-range. And so, like, what I guess, what have what have your thoughts been on the uh, on the way that the Pistons have become more familiar with the drop coverage as the season's gone on? Yeah, and again, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. Um, we both, I think, have gone back and forth about how we we'd rather see an aggressive uh, Andre Drummond uh, in the pick and roll, and you know, Dwayne Casey kind of went the other way. Uh, and so far, I mean, it, it did take a a while to get used to, at least as as far as watching it, and I'm sure the team to get used to them uh, on their end. Uh, but you can't really argue with the results. I mean, they're a top 10-ish uh, defensive rating team. Uh, and like you said, uh, they have the fewest shots uh, against them at the rim. Uh, they're forcing out mid-range. Uh, they're staying home on the threes, so they're limiting threes. Uh, that Those are all good things. Those are all positive signs. Um, the times where you, the Chris Pauls, the Kemba Walkers uh, of the world are going to make those 17, uh, 14, 15, 16, 17 footers, um, that's when you kind of have to, I guess, uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, adjust, uh, some sort of adjustment, uh, or, or they're just going to do that all game and you live with it. Um, I would rather see them adjust obviously. Um, but again, it's, it's more of a comfortable thing. If that's what they feel comfortable with, that's what they got to do. See, I thought they did a decent job of adjusting today against Devin Booker. Because, well, they did. They really did. And he was—he's a guy who yep. like wants to come off and like shoot threes, right, or get to the rim. But he yep. was killing them from mid range because like that's the shots they were giving him. And part of it was personnel. Like Reggie Bullock couldn't stay in front of him. Bruce Brown could couldn't really stay in front of him. Um, Reggie Jackson really couldn't stay with him. And so they finally landed on Stanley Johnson, who is uh, strong enough to navigate the pick exactly. and like, stay with him uh, on his hip throughout uh, the entire thing. But. Uh, and but you also saw like Andre come out and up a little bit more and, uh, and attack Booker and see- not only attack Booker and, and again I'm sorry to cut you off <laughs> not only attack Booker but then when he's up uh, you know pressing the the pick and roll then he starts getting his hands in the passing lanes he starts knocking away passes he starts doing those uh, little drumming things that only really he does well uh, and it all kind of plays plays off each other. Um, so if they could, if they start doing that against uh, again the Bookers, the the Walkers, anybody who's killing them in that mid range, that's a good thing. And, and and I think it's good to have that versatility of where if we can get away with playing drop, we'll do that. You know, it's a, it's much more conservative. It's it's less taxing. Uh, but the games that we have to step it up, if we have that uh, ability to do so, that's that's pretty good to have in the back pocket. That's a good point. That's something I hadn't really considered, right? Because like you, you can always just pull it out of your back pocket if you need it, like they did today, right? And you know, it does have its drawbacks. They did give up a couple of uh, easy buckets to DeAndre Ayton late in the game because that's what happens when like Dre is playing up twenty five feet from the rim and his his guy yep. rolls and like that's gonna happen. Yeah, you always have to give up something when you're playing defense, right? And so exactly. And you, you, the best case scenario, you're, you're giving up the shots that you, you want to give up. And, uh, if they're doing that, it's a win basically on a possession by possession basis. If they make the shot, you know, whatever, tip your cap. Uh, you just don't want to give up the shots that 
you don't want to give up. That seems pretty obvious. Yeah. So what have your thoughts been on Dwayne Casey through 17 games? Uh, I've wavered a little bit. And uh, I guess as we get more familiar with him and we learn his like twerk, his, uh, uh, his twerks, twerks his, <laughs> his, his tweaks and like what irks him. Uh, right. But yeah, what, what have you thought about Dwayne Casey so far? Yeah, and, and again, just to kind of piggyback on what I said earlier, he doesn't have to have the answers right now. As long as he's willing to try things out, find you know, find the answers his way, uh, I'm cool with that. Uh, as far as his coaching style and everything, um, the players seem to like him. Uh, that's a huge plus. Uh, that win in Toronto, I don't think was anything to you know kind of write off. I think that was big. Uh, you could tell Dwayne wanted to win that. You could tell that uh, you know the players were happy for him. Um, so. It, and again, it's going to sound cliche, but if you're playing for each other, that's a good thing. That's what you want. And I really don't think that was there with uh, Stan Van Gundy. Uh, I think by the end of his tenure, you know, the typical stuff where they kind of tune him out, uh, go their own way. I think that kind of crept in. And then now with Dwayne, uh, you know, kind of lit a fire fire under them. Uh, and it's good. You can see that um, and players want to see that the coaches care, uh, not only about them, you know, off the court and all that stuff, but. Uh, how are you going to help me develop on the court? Are you going to get me to the place that, uh, you know, that I want to go to? Uh, how are you going to help me? And I think Dwayne, uh, at least, you know, from what I can tell, um, I think he does a really good job at that, that uh, his players know uh, that he's there for them. And, and again, that's, that's a good thing. The, there's one more advantage I'm surprised you didn't bring up that he has over Stan Van Gundy in his, and uh, it comes back to the Toronto game. So he can actually draw up and, and out of bounds play. <laughs> that, those, you know, believe it or not, Laz, those come in, uh, come in, come to help every once in a while. So that's, uh, that's a positive. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess that kind of brings me to something I wanted to ask you specifically whenever you came on the podcast, which is like, what are you looking at when you watch a game? Like, I don't really have a coach's eye. And so like, that's why I'm super appreciative of your work specifically with film, because it's like, okay, now I know what I'm looking for or what I'm looking at. But like, you see this stuff, like while it's happening, like during the games, so, like what, what are you looking at when you watch a game? Um, wow. Great question. Um, so those are two different answers. The The first answer, uh, one, say I'm watching the Pistons game. Uh, that is, that's very detailed. Um, and we'll get into, we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, but the second way is, you know, watching the Lakers or watching some other team that time when I'm watching games, I just want to have fun. I don't want to pay attention to anything. Just, you know, do your dunks, do your blocks and that's fun. Um, but as far as watching the Pistons is concerned, um, you know who they're playing going in. You know what the other team does well, uh, who plays well for them. And uh, I think you're just kind of watching matchups, uh, watching how um, uh, Pistons initiate offense is always uh, a fun thing. Well, you know, relatively fun for me to watch. Um, but I think it, um, as far as watching live, that's tricky because you're going to miss a lot of things. It's darn near impossible to uh, catch everything live. Um, you've got to be pretty... Uh, pretty detailed oriented to do that. Um, and I think when coaches say, uh, you know, after after a game and during the press conference, uh, uh, you know, we won't have any answers until we watch film. Uh, there's a lot of truth to that because you have to go back and watch it. You have to rewind. You have to uh, see how things started, where they originated, where's the true 
you know, genesis of the play, who did what wrong. Uh, and you can't, it's, it's impossible to do that live. Uh, you almost, again, you almost have to go back and rewatch it um, any way you can, because it's, it's too hard to do it live. You're going to miss so much. I, I end up having to watch stuff like three times. Like yeah, once yeah. I, when I watch it live, I'm watching it just to see if the Pistons win or lose. Cause that's really all I care about when I'm watching <laughs> right. it live. And then I have to watch it uh, a second time to like keep an eye on stuff that may or may like now that I know the result and I don't have to worry about um, the result of the game. I can kind of keep an eye on stuff that I thought about coming in. Yep. And then the third time I watch it is like, okay, I'm looking for specifically like, okay, what, caused the outcome of the game to to be the way that it was and i would say probably for most uh most people whether you're coaching whether you're you know whatever your background is if you want to learn the game of basketball that's exactly how you do it uh you watch it first watch it straight through uh and then you know watch uh kind of go back and watch it again uh and just try to pick up on the little things that you missed uh that you again realistically have no chance of catching watching live uh, if you really want to learn basketball, you got to put your time in. Uh, and that's, uh, unfortunately, I guess the only way to do it is the old rewatch. So, yeah, I mean, well, who, so who's your team that's not the Pistons that you just like watch for fun? The Lakers? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, that, that was just an example. But, uh, yeah, any, if, if it's not the Pistons, I just just entertain me. Uh, the Pistons are really the only team that, uh, you know, I kind of go back and rewatch. No, that's fair. So my uh, my other team is Portland. Oh, we all and know so like, you and Dame. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love Dame. <laughs> but so when I'm watching their games, but I'm, I end up like look, I don't really care as much whether or not they win or lose. So I find myself like working my way to that second level right. of watching, where I'm like, okay, like Evan Turner and the bench lineups are are still killing teams or whatever. Or like Zach Collins is improving uh, rapidly defensively, and like that's <laughs> that's a real thing. And so. It's just it's just interesting about like and I would love to be able to do that for the Pistons, but I just like can't eliminate that first layer where it's like, oh god, right. if we lose this game, it's like it's a tragedy. Yeah, it's the worst thing in the world. How are we ever gonna recover? Exactly. No, I, I, <laughs> I know exactly where you're coming from. Um but yeah, it there's 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 two totally different ways of watching it, and the only way again you get better is put in that time and uh uh, and again, like someone's getting better defensively or the bench unit is doing well. Those are like little nuances that uh, you, there's no way you can you can uh, get all that stuff watching live. Just put in the time. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, that's such a terrible prescription. Uh, guys, if you want to be better anal- analysts, if you want to know more <laughs> about the game of basketball, you got to watch more basketball. It, it's it's so sad. It's, it's <laughs> Right. It's It's that easy. Put in the time. Yeah. Yeah. What do you always say? Uh, basketball is an easy game if you let it be. Yeah, that, that's so true. <laughs> All right. So the Pistons play the Knicks, uh, Bulls, and Warriors this week. They play the Warriors on Saturday. Yeah, this week. Yep. Um, the I think Steph will be back by the time that Warriors game rolls around. And that might not matter as much. They just rolled uh, my beloved uh, Trailblazers <laughs> by like 30 points uh, a couple nights ago. So it might not even matter. So, Mike, uh, Pistons are currently 10 and 7. Uh, what will the record be uh, next week when I podcast with Ben, hopefully? Uh, well, I'm going to go out of limb here and say they're going to go 2 and 1 this week, uh, win the two games that they should, uh, lose to Golden State. Uh, and again, um, they have to 
figure out, find a way to win the games that they should, especially at home, especially against these two clubs, and especially before December schedule hit, because that is out of sight. That's cra- That's another crazy thing is December schedule. So they have yeah. to, they have to, uh, not have to, I guess, but it would be really nice if they can clean up these two easy wins at home. So for those who aren't aware, uh, I'm going to read off the games they play um, from the middle, from the beginning of December until like basically like Christmas. They play Golden State and Oklahoma City at home. They play at Milwaukee. Milwaukee is like third in the East and looks ridiculous right now. They play Philadelphia again. And I don't know if you watched the last two Philly games, but like those are always uh, an entertaining battle. They play New Orleans. Uh, Anthony Davis missed. Uh, last game against the Washington Wizards, but I'm, I'm sure he'll be fine by then. Then they go back to Philadelphia. Oh, thank God. We, we finished playing Philly uh, all four games before Christmas. Play at Charlotte, um, Boston, Milwaukee, at Minnesota. And then finally, uh, no, okay, no, at Charlotte. And then finally, there's like a reprieve. They get to play Atlanta like two days before Christmas. I mean, that's, that's pretty tough. That is a rough <laughs> stretch. Of that's really tough. So... It, it kind of makes these next two games, uh, again, not must-wins because there's no must-wins in November. But, man, they just really have to capitalize and really find a way to, to beat the teams they should. And I think I think like there will definitely be opportunities for them to win games in that yep. stretch. I don't think they're going to go 0 for like, 10 or however many teams Agreed. that is. Like they've, they've beaten Toronto and they've beaten Houston, so like it's possible. But at the same time, it's going to be – it's going to definitely be a struggle night in, night out. And if you, it's good to bank these wins in November because you're going to need them come come March exactly. and April. And it's going to be tough to bank wins against teams that are better than you. Exactly. Come April, uh, you don't want to be looking back at the schedule and saying, oh, man, if we would just would have beat New York, if we just would have beat Chicago, we'd be in the playoffs or we would be a higher seed. That's the last thing you want to do. So the easiest way to, to avoid that is just, beat the teams you should all right all right mike is there uh i know i spoiled one of your pieces already but is there anything else you're thinking about uh ginning up for uh, dbb this week uh great question uh, i haven't really thought too much about it um i, I would like to kind of delve into uh the the pistons early offense the different kind of looks that they produce whether it's uh you know dre hustling down the court uh posting up and blake doing the same or uh, or kind of morphing that uh, when he brings the ball up and he kind of puts himself into the post type thing. Uh, just kind of explore that. I think that's uh, that's worthwhile. Uh, but other than that, just uh, going from there, I guess. No, I mean, I, I can't wait to read that. That <laughs> sounds, that sounds, no, that sounds great. So uh, now that I've you know, taken up so much of your time, what's the best place for people to do even more of that? Uh, how can people get in touch with you? Where can they follow you? Uh, social media, the blog, whatever. Yeah, good questions. Um, I think the best and easiest thing to do is just go to DetroitBadBoys.com. Uh, and again, I know you say it all the time, but I really think, I truly believe, and I'm not just saying this because I'm obviously part of it, but I really think it's the best discussion um, as far as basketball in Detroit is concerned. Uh, the day-to-day stuff, uh, the comments section is always flowing. There's always new stuff being posted. Uh, it's it's really great. Uh, and, and again, I, I, I promise the listeners, I'm not just saying that. Uh, but if you go there, you'll be able to find me from from there. And that's probably good enough. I will say that um, they, that's the reason I'm here. And I think that's the reason you're here is because like DBB is quite clearly the, the best place on the totally. internet. 
for Pistons news and analysis this season. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> no, it's like what well, uh, there's uh, there's Pistons powered and there's Motor City made and like those guys are great, but like they're not. No, us. no, no heat. Well, maybe a little, but no, the, like the day to day stuff. I I don't think there's a place better. Yeah, definitely, and of course, uh, the best way to I guess throw shade at me if you disagree with that assessment is on Twitter. Uh, at last chance that's at l-a-z-c-h-a-n-c-e thanks again mike for coming on Uh, this has been the detroit bad boys podcast and uh, we will see you guys uh, next week